0: This is my first week back. I've been thinking of a conversation that I had several years ago with a family that was going through our new members class. I don't always get to make it to the new members classes when they take place on Sunday, uh, but this time I got to go and uh, whenever I get a chance to be there, I always love to just get to know the stories of some of the people who were there. And there was a young family that was going through the class who have joined and since become uh, wonderful leaders here at the church. And I was asking about their journey of how they got here to Covenant. They said, well, you know, we kind of came to Austin and we knew we were looking for a church. And um, they said we visited a number of them. They had not visited Covenant yet. But they had visited a number of them. They said, we went to this one church and we loved it. We loved like the community there. We loved the preaching there. We loved the worship there. We loved the liturgy there. And after a few weeks of visiting it, we were like, we think this is the place that we're really supposed to put down roots. We think this is the church home for us. But then all that changed and we didn't join I was like, well, what happened? What changed like so dramatically? And they were like, the senior pastor came back from sabbatical. (laughs) They were like, while he was away, things were great and so interesting and captivating. But the moment he came back, it just really wasn't as good anymore. And so if you are a new visitor that loved (laughs) worship this summer, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance to see what might be able to happen, okay? No, but as this is my first Sunday back, I stand before you today and more than anything else just want you to hear of my gratitude and our gratitude to this church for the gift of this sabbatical, the gift of the past three months Uh, On behalf of Beth and the girls, uh, we are grateful. We are so grateful. And grateful to be at a church um, where the session, where the personnel committee uh, really leaned in to figuring how this all worked and how this worked best. We're grateful for that. We're grateful to the staff who worked so hard both before and during to make this possible. And they, John, Jill, a number of them, they arranged their summers and their vacations and time with family to make this possible. And we're grateful to that. And thank you. But we're grateful to each and every one of you, and we're grateful to be at a church that celebrates the rhythm of Sabbath rest and for pastors, a sabbatical rest. Not every church does that. We're grateful that you're not territorial about it, that you're not closed-minded about it, that you're not fearful about it. Because one of, the, one of the dangers in pastoral ministry, one of the dangers of this vocation is that for pastors, your spiritual life can become meshed in the life of the institution. And that is never a good thing over time. But it's subtle how it happens, and it's easy for it to happen. And to give your pastors a time to pull back, and Beth and I both in our ministries here to be able to pull back is a gift, and so thank you. Beth and I both were able to meet with important people in our lives, with spiritual directors, with coaches, with mentors, who helped us just reflect on our journey and our spiritual walk and where we were with the Lord and how we would grow in that. We got to see people that we don't often get to see because we work at times when other people are available and travel. For instance, I got to go and spend some time with my mother and my stepfather. My stepdad went on under hospice care. Uh, while we were away on sabbatical. And to just have the time to choose to go up there and to spend time with my mom and stepdad with nothing, uh, no responsibilities for a little while was an incredible gift. I have two younger brothers, as many of you know. One lives in Maine, one lives in Montana. I live here in Texas. It's hard for us to get together. And we got together, the three of us, and spent time together, which was important for us to be able to do. It was a gift that we received. If you follow Beth or you follow my girls on social media, you know we got to take a couple of trips. They were wonderful trips. In June, we went back to Atlanta for a week. Uh, Atlanta is where I was born and raised. It's where we lived and raised our kids until we moved out here to Austin to come here to Covenant. It was so wonderful to go back to see people that we had not seen in a long time. We went back to our old neighborhood that we loved. We saw our old house we walked the streets of our neighborhood and told stories to each other as we went. Uh, we we um, went to the girls' preschool and elementary school where they attended before coming here. And they got to kind of see that and remember stories from that. They actually tracked down their favorite teacher from elementary school, Miss Gabriel, and they got to go find her and they visited with her for a while. It was so cool to just kind of see uh, all of that take place. We went to an Atlanta Braves game, which we love, world champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, <laughs> Um... <laughs> And it was fun and it was good and it was wonderful. And we got to go back and worship in Atlanta at the first church that Beth and I both worked at almost 20 years ago. North Avenue Presbyterian Church. A wonderful church in Midtown Atlanta. And we went there on a Sunday. It was the church where Beth and I worked both while we were in seminary and then we were both associate pastors on staff there together at the very early days of our ministry. And to go worship there, to see people there again, to walk the halls of that building again, it was just wonderful and then last month we took kind of our big trip and that was a trip we had planned for a long time we went to Paris and we went to Spain uh, for almost three weeks and Paris we went to uh, mostly because if there was one place that both of our girls wanted to go and visit Paris has always been the place we want to go to Paris you guys never take us to Paris and it's like yes your life is a tragedy. You've never been to Paris. You have to go to Wales every summer and see your grandparents. I'm sorry you've never been to Paris. So we were like, can we go to Paris? We, go to, we went there. We got to spend basically a week in Paris in that magnificent city. And outside of just getting to visit and see there, we got to soak up traveling for the four of us again because my eldest daughter is now less than a year away from graduating from high school, and we know that the just automatic, we travel together as a foursome is changing. And so we soaked that up of just being together. Uh, And then we flew down to southern Spain, to the Costa del Sol for uh, a little over a week. Beth's parents flew down from Cardiff, in Wales, and were able to meet us there, and we spent a, a, a week there with them, the six of us. It's so hard to have family and an international marriage and family anyway, but COVID has made it that we just have not been able to get time with them. So to get that time together was special, and it was wonderful. And then we had some great days in Madrid at the very end before coming back. It was incredible, and it was grateful, and I want you to know how thankful we are. But what I also want us to talk about today and what I want to just spend a couple of minutes in is to let you know that what was most important about our sabbatical was nothing that you could put on social media. And it was nothing that we planned. The most important things that happened in our sabbatical took place in the unplanned in-between times, the quieter times, the times that were more still. For me, What I realized, and I knew this going into sabbatical, I knew I was tired. Not just for ministry and life generally, but it's been a challenging last few years for all of us personally, but certainly for me, vocationally. There was, as we've talked about before, no roadmap for how to figure out a pandemic and what it means to be church and how to navigate that. Um, there was the events that feel like they're just sort of ripping at the social fabric of our country right now and the divisions of that and the 2020 election and the events after that and the feelings about what's taking place and the killing of George Floyd and so many different things as we've walked through recent weeks and months uh, and years that have just been challenging and hard to know. Like, how do you navigate this as a Christian, much less a pastor, much less at a church? It's just unrest in our society And so I knew I was tired going into it, but about three weeks into the sabbatical, I realized I was more tired than I thought I was. And that I was more spiritually dry than I thought I was. And it was a very kind of trying moment to know what to do with that. Because I didn't have a magic formula to figure it out, and just getting time away from work wasn't solving everything. But what I want you to know in the midst of that is the Lord showed up. And has overwhelmed me in the last couple of months with his goodness, with his love, with his presence. And that this has been, for me and my family, maybe the most significant spiritual season of our entire life. And we are renewed and refreshed and excited, not just about like ministry, about Jesus, about faith, about the gospel, about the power of what God can do in a life, and how overwhelmingly magnificent God's love and God's grace and God's presence are. And so I wanted today to give you a glimpse of what I have been discovering in the last three months. Next week, we'll get back to the kind of sermons I love. It's kickoff Sunday, there's on-ramps, there's action steps, there's things we do. We'll get there. But today is just a chance to bear witness for me for a second to the journey and what I've been learning about God that I hope might speak to all of us and where we go. And the scripture passages we're going to look at uh, does not come from our daily lectionary. We're, we're, we're breaking our series just for today. Um, Because I want to read from a scripture passage that I encountered very early in my sabbatical through a devotional book I was using. And it was a scripture passage that I have probably read 50 times over the course of the last three months. It became like an anthem to me of God's hope and God's love, but also a guide for me of how to take this journey that I've been on. And so I want to read it, and I want you to know as I read it today that I might get a little emotional because I haven't been able to read it yet without feeling teary including with our staff this week. But these are tears of gratitude for the love of God and for the goodness of God and for the magnificence of God. And it's become very personal for me, this passage. So it's uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, selective verses from the first half of the chapter and the translation we're going to be reading from is Eugene Peterson's modern translation known as The Message. 2 Corinthians 6. Paul writes this. Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk into here today, we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So friends, what struck me the first time I encountered this, and this was, again, early days of my sabbatical where I was wrestling with a lot of different stuff, was the contrast that Paul draws of what life can be for Christians what the gospel life can look like, what it should look like, and yet the contrast of what sometimes it does look like. First off, Paul says what it can be. He says that there's this magnificent vision for what life can be for a follower of Jesus. That for a follower of Jesus, life is meant to be an adventure. It is meant to be big. It is meant to be mighty. It is meant to be powerful. He says that life is meant to be expansive and wide open and spacious. This is language of joy. This is language of purpose. This is language of uh, of an adventure that we get to take with God. He says that this is what every day should look like in the life of a follower of Jesus, a big, bold, joyful, expansive, spacious life. I don't know anybody from any background that would hear that and go, I don't want that. That sounds awful. An expansive, spacious, wide-open, bold, joy-filled life. No, thank you. No, you hear that and you're like, yes, that's what I want. And yet he says that that's not always how life feels. And the contrast he draws is that there are times when life doesn't feel expansive, spacious, or wide-open, but the term he uses is that life feels small. And when I encountered this passage, I knew that there were parts of my life immediately that were smaller than what God dreamed of them being. And that's an important truth to sit in. And maybe I'm not the only one today that has parts of your life or maybe all of your life that feels small, that doesn't feel expansive, that doesn't feel spacious, that doesn't feel adventurous. Adventurous. But that contrast spoke to me. I think for a lot of us, uh, life has gotten smaller since the pandemic started, right? It's like all of a sudden, we kind of went into this little individualized bubble and we had kind of our little worlds and we didn't venture outside anymore and we didn't gather face-to-face with people and we did school on screens in our rooms and we did work on screens in our rooms and we did church on screens in our rooms and we did shopping on screens where someone would leave it at the door and we didn't have to interact and then we'd just go pick it up. I think our world, by definition, became smaller. It became more individualized. It became more about me and my bubble and my way of getting through. I think we got more tired, didn't we? I think we quit dreaming as much about what life could be. I think we quit dreaming as much about what does God want to do in my world, in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my friendships today. What does God want to do in this city and in this world? I think as we got smaller, it just became about more getting from point A to point B, of putting your head down and getting through it. I think that took place a lot in the divisions that we have been experiencing in this nation, in our culture, ripping and tearing apart. There's been so much that's been so hard. And I hear and I feel over and over again, people are gonna say, I just don't watch the news anymore, I don't read anything, I just kinda live in my life and I don't pay attention, it's just too overwhelming and and so I'm just here, right? And because there's such outrage right now. It's the only thing that unites the left and the right is that they are both outraged, they are both clear about who's to blame and it is not them and the other side. It's the only thing that unites us right now and everyone's angry so we just kind of punker down and we get down and we just move through and try to keep going and life has gotten smaller. Studies show that this is the case. Sociologists are telling us that studies are saying that we in this country feel more preoccupied, more worried about the state of things, more negative about the direction we're going than years past and even generations past. And I think life feels less expansive and adventurous and full of possibility and wide open And it feels hard. And in Paul's language here, it feels small. But what I also had to wrestle with, and what I wonder if any of you need to wrestle with, is that in those areas where life feels small, Paul also gives us a bit of a gut punch. Because what he says is, yes, it can be hard when there's a pandemic, it can be hard when things are happening, and life can, that is all true. But the other thing when life is small is that you're not just the victim of circumstances but at times you are the author of your own small existence. That the ways you are living, that the patterns you have, that the disciplines you do or don't use, actually cause us to have a small life i was with a good friend of mine who's a pastor over the course of the sabbatical and he was talking about how hard things were and you know pastoring a church in this time and all this other stuff but then he had this really revealing comment he said you know the other thing is that i really don't pray as much if you kind of looked at my schedule my prayer life has diminished and my binging out on netflix has increased since the pandemic not netflix isn't a bad thing But when there's a a relationship between how much I'm paying attention to the Lord and just how much I'm just kind of tuning out, we choose a small existence. I think a lot of us choose a small existence by believing a narrative that exists, which is my life will feel wide open, expansive, and wonderful when I get certain things sorted out. When my career finally makes sense, then I'll feel that way. When my kids start acting differently, when our world gets better, when our country gets better, when the right person gets elected, then we'll have a wide open spacious existence, but this thing needs to get made sense of first. And that's a false narrative, because you climb that mountain and realize it's not the oasis beyond it, there's just 27 more mountains left to climb in front of me. Like, well, I guess it's when I climb the next one, it'll all make sense. That's choosing to believe a narrative that's false. Paul is saying that for each and every one of us, you can move from a small to a wide open, spacious existence right now, today. And that, my friends, is what I discovered. In my wrestling with not only that life felt smaller, faith felt smaller, I felt dry, and also wrestling with how my choices had contributed to that smallness. I paid attention to the first part of this passage where Paul says that when you're in those times, the answer is not to do what Thomas normally does, which is say, no, no, I'm fine. Everything's okay. And I'll just kind of like move away from it, but to move towards it. And he says that when you feel small or when you feel confused or when you feel lost, he says, cry out to God, cry out to God. And he says at the beginning of this passage, he will show up in the nick of time, he says, He says that when you cry out, he will hear your cry and God will show up and respond in the midst of that. And so as uncertain as I felt, that's what I did about three weeks in is I just started saying to God like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. And it was in the turning to God and saying, I don't know what to do with this, that the Lord overwhelmed me as never before with his presence and his goodness and his love. And it was in the moving towards it and naming it that God, as this passage says, responded. And you're like, well, what did that look like? How did you do that? Here's the good part I just started doing the stuff we've been talking about here for years. I started doing this radically crazy idea, which is reading. Not because I was planning a sermon series, not because I was writing a Bible study and preparing for something, not because there was a talk taking place that I needed to do, but just to spend time in the word of God. I read this passage from Second Corinthians probably 50 times. Just let it wash over me, just focused on different words. Just let the words like breathe. It's like believing they're true and letting God's truth and love just just come like into you. I did it through praying. And praying to God and being disciplined in those prayers. And, and, and it was hard at first because I didn't quite know what to say to God except like I feel empty. And God wasn't really speaking to me at first. And the way that I normally pray is I go on prayer walks. And this is the worst summer in the world to need to be active and outside to feel close to God. Because we are living on the surface of the sun right now. And so I just took a flyer and did something that Beth does and is better at that I had not really done before, which is that I wrote in a journal. And I was like, well this isn't gonna work. And it was incredible, but my English teacher would flip out if she looked at how I wrote, because it was just stream of consciousness. I was writing about circumstances, and then I'd start in the middle of a sentence, praying to God, and then in the end, like in the middle of a prayer, I'd, like, I would th- could feel God responding, and I was writing when I thought God's response, and it was back to my day. It was just this page after page of all this stuff, but in that stream of consciousness, God was working and speaking and showing up and day after day and doing this in community with my wife and doing this in community with some other people. God was just breathing life into me, and it was good, and it was magnificent, and it was wonderful. And I am so excited to come back and to figure out what that looks like for us and our life together. Because normally, and I had a staff member say this this week, when I show back up from vacation, I'm like, all right, guys, it's fall. We've got to hit the ground running. We've got to do this thing. And it was like coming back going, I just want people to be overwhelmed with the love of God. And I have got zero strategic plan except God is so magnificently gracious and can do more than we ask or imagine. And so thank you for the gift that you guys have given us by allowing us to take this journey. And I want you to know that next week, we're gonna start talking about the on-ramps to studying the Bible, the on-ramps to doing the things we do, the on-ramps to praying, the on-ramps to starting a small group or being in a small group or re-engaging with a small group. All these things we can do. And next week, we'll start doing them together. But today, I want you to know what I'm praying for, for myself, for my marriage, for my children, for my stepdad on the journey he is on and for each and every one of you. That we, in the weeks ahead, will be overwhelmed by God's presence and that God will rescue us from a small life into something magnificent and joyful and expansive and spacious and will blow us away with how wondrous life can be. I hope you are filled with joy like you have never known before. And I am excited to lean into that with you. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would lead us, guide us in this journey, not for our own benefit, not for the roles of this church, not for the budget of this church, not for the plans of this church, but that you would have a community in Austin falling more in love with you, coming more alive in your name, and knowing how big and wondrous and expansive life can be, and all glory and honor are to you that our lives would reflect your glory to the world around us because we are so alive ourselves. Anoint us for this journey. May we hold out to you the hard and small places and be filled to overflowing in how you respond. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.